The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. I trust you've got your Bible at hand as well. As I mentioned, we're going to do an extended communion talk out of Hebrews chapter 5. And so if you've got your Bible there, grab that and find Hebrews chapter 5. We're just going to look at a short passage, two verses, verses 8 and 9 of Hebrews 5 as we think about the significance of Jesus' sufferings. So this is what we read, Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9. Even though Jesus was God's Son, He learned obedience from the things He suffered. In this way, God qualified Him as a perfect high priest or a perfect human representative, and He became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey Him. And the main thing we Christians do each Good Friday is we remember and thank God for the sufferings of Jesus Christ, his sufferings that won for us forgiveness from God and peace with God. But an important truth that we also need to remember each Good Friday and even beyond Good Friday is that Jesus' sufferings were not limited to the hours he hung on the cross. No, the New Testament makes it clear that Jesus' life from beginning to end was a life of suffering. For example, Jesus was born into poverty. His earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, they struggled financially and Jesus was born into that situation. Then Jesus' first crib was an animal's feeding trough. As a toddler, Jesus became a refugee as Mary and Joseph had to flee with Jesus from Herod's sword. Herod wanted Jesus dead. He thought to himself, who is this Messiah who wants to usurp my Throne. Sometimes we forget that. Jesus was literally a refugee as a toddler. Then Jesus, when he grew up, became a teenager. No doubt he would have experienced suffering in the form of oppression. He was in a nation. He lived in a nation that was under the authority of Rome, Roman occupation. That would have been difficult. And then, of course, when Jesus started his teaching ministry, his very first sermon almost got him killed. When he preached in his hometown, in the synagogue there, out of the book of Isaiah, the people were so infuriated with Jesus, because Jesus claimed to be God's chosen king, that they literally dragged Jesus out of the synagogue to a nearby cliff, intending to throw him off. Thankfully, Jesus escaped. Later on in Jesus' ministry, found in John chapter 7, Jesus' siblings mocked Jesus. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. In fact, they poked fun at him. They said, oh, Messiahs, they go to Jerusalem to be identified. In other words, his own brothers called into question his identity and his mission. Then, in the Gospels, we find that Jesus was often in tears. He wept bitterly when his good friend and relative and forerunner, John the Baptist, was beheaded, when he was executed. Then also when he arrived in Jerusalem just before his crucifixion, he wept over the nation's unbelief. He said, oh, here I am, your savior, your redeemer, your Messiah, and yet you do not recognize me. You've rejected me. And of course, that would have caused Jesus great anguish of heart and suffering deep within we could go on. Jesus was constantly misunderstood. He was consistently bad-mouthed and slandered and repeatedly criticized and rejected by the religious leaders. 
This is why Isaiah, when he foretold the coming Messiah, called God's Messiah, this one who was to come, God's suffering servant. In fact, he would be a man of suffering and familiar with pain. In short, Jesus' life from the crib to the cross was one of suffering, extensive suffering. But the question, of course, we need to ask today, this Good Friday morning is, why? Why did Jesus have to suffer so much? Why did he have to suffer so extensively? And of course, this is why I selected this passage, this compact passage, Hebrews chapter 5, because it highlights two main reasons why Jesus had to suffer so extensively. The first reason is found in verse 8. This is what we're told here. Even though Jesus was God's son, that is, even though Jesus was the unique, eternal son of God, the eternal son of God, he learned obedience, that's the key phrase, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. That is, he suffered so extensively, as we just saw, supremely, climactically on the cross, in order to learn obedience. Now, this is very significant, it's huge, but what does it mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean, what it couldn't mean. It doesn't mean that Jesus had to unlearn disobedience. It doesn't mean that he went from disobeying God to obeying God. And and why can't it mean that? Well, it can't mean that because Jesus, we're told, is sinless. He's the sinless Savior. In fact, if you just turn left in the book of Hebrews to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we're told that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. And then it adds these crucial words, yet without sin. Sometimes you and I, we give in to temptation, and that's called sin, but we're told that Jesus never gave in to temptation, which of course means that he is the sinless one. And so when we're told that he suffered in order to learn obedience, it doesn't mean that he went from disobedience to obedience. And so what does this mean? Well, one Bible commentator helps us out here. His name is David Guzik. He writes this, quote, Jesus learned the full meaning of, of the cost of obedience from the things which he suffered in life. Now, this is huge. I think he's spot on. Let me say it again, read it out for you again. Jesus learned the full meaning or the full weight of the cost of obedience. Obedience to God is costly from the things which he suffered in life. In other words, obeying God for Jesus and for us in this fallen, broken, sinful world involves pain. It will always include and involve a measure or a level of suffering. Why? Well, because obeying God means resisting the various forces pulling us in the opposite direction, in the direction of disobedience. This is what temptation is by definition. It's this pull within. It's like a gravitational internal pull towards disobeying God, towards sin. And of course, when you resist the urge, when you resist temptation, when you resist disobedience, what happens? Friction happens. This was Jesus' experience throughout his life, and it will be your experience, my experience, as we resist temptation. And we all know this from experience. For example, when you resist the urge to be angry at your child or your spouse, although it never happens, does it? You never attempted to get angry at your spouse or, or your colleague or someone else. And because you're a Christian, you don't want to just vent, although that's a lot easier just to explode and tear strips off them. But you hold it in. You resist that urge. You resist the temptation to do that, to be angry. And of course, the more you resist, at least initially, there's a level of pain. You, like, you just want to explode, but you hold it in. And there's friction, there's tension. That's a form of 
suffering. And of course, you can apply this to lust or gossip, resisting the urge, resisting the temptation to give in to those things means a level of pain and suffering. And so when Hebrews 5, 8, our author tells us that Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered, it means that he experienced agony, intense agony, every time he said no to disobedience and yes to obedience. You see, we must never think that Jesus was some superhuman person that never experienced the pain of obedience. No, he did. The chief example, the main example, is found in the Gospels when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father while his friends, his disciples, were fast asleep. Three times he's prayed, Father, remove this cup from me. Remove it from me. Of course, this cup metaphorically signified what Jesus would have to drink on the cross. What would he metaphorically drink on the cross? Well, he would drink the judgment of God down to its dregs as he was being humankind's sin bearer there on the cross, receiving and absorbing the wrath of God against human sin. He was going to drink that down. And of course, Jesus recoiled at that in his humanness, the pain and the weight of that. Jesus like, remove this cup from me. And also for Jesus, the cross bearing the wrath of God meant separation from his heavenly father and that thought terrified Jesus he is the divine son of God we'll we'll never understand this he is the divine son of God thinking contemplating being God forsaken the anguish in his heart and yet what does Jesus do well he's tempted to run because he says three times he prays three times not my will meaning he was tempted to forsake the plan of God the will of God but your will be done he says he resists the temptation resists the urge to disobey god and luke the doctor in his gospel account tells us that he resisted to the point of blood bloodshed that he sweat drops of blood which is actually a medical condition when you're under severe pressure and anxiety that can happen well it happened to jesus because he was resisting temptation And so Jesus' life was characterized by suffering from the crib to the cross, as I mentioned, from beginning to end, climactically on the cross. And this suffering, which intensified throughout his life, taught him the cost of obedience. But of course, the question is, so what? So what? So Jesus suffered so extensively in order to learn obedience. What's the big deal with that? Like, why is that significant? Why is it so important? Well, it is important for this second reason, the second main reason why Jesus suffered. In verse 9, this is what we read. In this way, that is, since Jesus is the obedient one, he perfectly obeyed God, in this way, God qualified him. This is great news. God qualified him as a perfect high priest or a human representative And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And so this is what we're being told here, and this is the greatest news in all the world. What we're being told here is that every time Jesus painfully resisted disobedience, every time he painfully resisted temptation, this demonstrated to God that he was perfectly suited, perfectly qualified Uh, to act as our human savior, as our human representative before God, because this is what we needed. We had perfectly disobeyed God, and so we needed someone to perfectly obey God in our place for us. And of course, 
Jesus did exactly that. And so the second reason why Jesus suffered so extensively is so that he would be our perfect savior, that he would be our perfect representative, obeying God every single step of the way. Of course, we have not loved God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so the consequence of that is eternal separation from God, death, in other words. The result of our shameful disobedience, according to the Bible, is death which is separation from God. And of course, that's hell, because when you consider the fact that God is the source of all life, he's the source of all joy, he's the source of all truth and satisfaction and light, to be separated from him, that being, well, that is a life, an eternal life of misery and gloom. Jesus is the rescuer. This is why it's such good news, because he obeyed God perfectly, and so became our high priest. He was qualified by God to be our perfect human representative. This is why our passage tells us that Jesus painfully obeyed God all the way to the cross. It tells us that because Jesus became our source of eternal salvation, which means he is the fountain of life. That's a true fountain of life. You know, everyone is looking for a fountain of life in some place. A lot of people try and find this fountain of life or this source of satisfaction, this source of salvation in a relationship. Others try to find this fountain of life in money or some possession or in their reputation or their body image or some expedition or education or something. The list is pretty much endless. And yet all these things, although they offer quick spikes of pleasure, at the end of the day, leave us high and dry. They never satisfy. God created us to be filled with him, and we try and fill our hearts with these other things, and they leave us wanting more. Jesus, we're told, is the source of eternal salvation. He is the ultimate, the real, true fountain of life, which means when we actually come to him, we have our relationship with God, which was severed, which was broken, restored. We receive his life. We receive his love. We're accepted by him. We come into his family, and he becomes our heavenly father when we become his children. Jesus becomes our older brother. We become his siblings, which is incredible. So in summary, Jesus' extensive suffering taught him the cost of obedience, and his painful obedience prepared him for the ultimate act of obedience, painful obedience, of course, that was the cross, which in turn qualified him to be our perfect human savior, perfect human representative. He took our consequences upon himself on the cross, the consequence of our disobedience, hell upon himself. He suffered hell in our place on the cross. This is why we celebrate Jesus, because he's a savior. What a savior, what a champion, what a hero. We must never make light of this fact that Jesus is our savior king, the one who came from heaven to earth to rescue us, to bring us back to God, the righteous one dying for the unrighteous, the obedient one dying for the disobedient ones. What an amazing truth, what an amazing celebration. In closing, just before we actually share in communion together, church, I just needed to say a couple of words, a few words, to those of you who might be sitting at home thinking to yourself, I'm not sure if Jesus is my saviour. I'm not sure if he is my representative before God. If that's you, let me encourage you with these words, the words in verse 9, the second half of verse 9 here. Listen to what we're told and take these to heart. Make them personal. This is what we read. He, that is Jesus, 
became the source of eternal salvation, the fountain of life. We've already looked at that. But notice these words. For all, for all those who obey him. For all. This is the language of inclusion, not exclusion. God doesn't discriminate. No matter what you've done or who you've become or what you've believed up until this point, or the shame or the guilt that you are carrying, maybe something was done to you and you feel unclean about that, or you did something and you're still carrying that guilt and that shame, the invitation of forgiveness is extended to you for all, for all. You don't have to be a holy Joe to receive God's love. You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to have your life morally perfect to receive this offer of salvation. No, no, no. For all, for all those who obey him, which means, of course, that you trust Jesus as your savior. And that can be difficult. You need to obey him in this, which means that you need to disobey your natural inclination. You know, your natural inclination is my natural inclination as well. It's the human reflex. It's to trust in yourself. It's to trust in oneself. Like, no, I think I'm good enough for, for God. I think I'll t- tip the balance, you know, tip the scales. I think I'll be okay. Well, the Bible says you won't be okay. You can't save yourself. You've got to make a choice. Will you allow Jesus to be your savior, the one who died for you on the cross? Or will you suffer the consequence of your own sin? And of course, the consequence is hell for all eternity. And yet Jesus suffered that in your place. And so will you be brave today, this Good Friday morning, to actually obey Jesus, to trust in him? Because, you know, when you do, something incredible happens. Something incredible takes place within your heart, deep within your soul. Transformation happens and you desire Jesus. You want to follow him. You have new inclinations, new desires to follow him and worship him and serve him and live for him. And so if you've never prayed a prayer of commitment to Christ, then I encourage you to echo in your heart the prayer that I'm about to pray as we all share in communion together. And so, church, if you've got your bread and your juice there, I hope you haven't spilt your juice. That was an extended communion. And we're going to share in communion together. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came and you suffered extensively. You suffered terribly. You suffered for us. You suffered throughout your life so that you would learn the cost of obedience so that you would be qualified to be our human representative before God. And that you are. And we're so thankful that we have one in you who mediates between us and God. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you as we hold the bread and the juice in our hands, Lord. Thank you for this bread that represents your body that was crucified for us, your body that was pierced for us so that we could be forgiven. Here's for our transgressions. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for this cup that we hold that represents your blood that was spilt for us for the forgiveness of sins so that we could know wholeness with God again. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace in Jesus. You sent Jesus to be our saviour, our rescuer, our redeemer. And we thank you, Lord. If you have never prayed a prayer of commitment, then echo in your heart this prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. I'm sorry that I have not trusted in you. But today, on this Good Friday morning, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust in you today. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.